Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Bridgestone, your journey, our passion. And by Dow Automotive Systems, improving durability and increasing design flexibility with Betamate structural adhesives at DowBetamate.com. Hello and welcome to AutoLine Daily. In today's show, Daimler and Renault-Nissan expand their collaboration, GM wants to reduce the number of platforms it uses, and Nissan's new hatchback for Europe. But now today's news. You know, Honda is on pace to increase sales of the CRV this year by 5% compared to last year, once again topping 300,000 units. And yesterday, I got a chance to check out the redesigned 2015 model. Almost all the whole front fascia was massaged with changes to the bumper, grille, and headlights, which now feature LED daytime running lights across all model lines. Two new sets of wheels are available, and the rear fascia sees some minor tweaks as well. Inside, the center console was raised to add air vents for rear seat passengers, and a 7-inch touchscreen display is also available. But it doesn't have a knob for volume control, and I found myself pulling my eyes away from the road to adjust it. The 2.4-liter engine is now putting out more torque than before and is mated to a new CVT transmission. Changes were made to the suspension, and while I didn't feel like the CRV rolled down the road any better than its competitors, I did feel like it was better planted in turns and less top-heavy. Also new for 2015 is a top-of-the-line touring model that has unique features like a power open and close rear tailgate and the automaker's collision avoidance system called Honda Sensing. One of its features is called Lane Keep Assist, where the vehicle tries to keep itself centered in the lane. While it did work, I found it to steer in fragmented segments through turns rather than a smooth arcing movement, and I even found myself fighting against it at times. Overall though, I did like the new model, and I can see why Honda sells so many. The 2015 CRV is on sale now, and prices only increased a little bit. A base front-wheel drive LX model starts just over $24,000, including destination charges, while the new Touring model starts a bit over $32,000. You know, we've seen a few of the major automakers go to a scalable vehicle architecture, and now General Motors is jumping into the mix. By 2025, the automaker plans to cut its number of platforms down to just four, from the 14 core platforms and 12 regional architecture it expects to have next year. As we've reported, Volkswagen's MQB platform may not be saving the company any money, so it'll be interesting to see if GM can make it work. Back in 2010, Daimler and Renault-Nissan teamed up to develop new cars and supply each other with engines. The first cars that came from that collaboration are going on sale now, the Renault Twingo and the Smart 4.2 and 4.4. And now they're expanding that partnership to the commercial side of the business. Nissan will supply Mitsubishi Fuso, which is owned by Daimler, with its NV350 commercial van. It will be renamed the Cantor van and be sold in the Middle East starting this year. And speaking of Nissan, the company just revealed a new five-door hatchback in Paris called the Pulsar, which marks the company's return to the C-segment in Europe. It's offered with three engines. The most powerful one is a 1.6-liter turbocharged gasoline power unit that cranks out nearly 190 horsepower. Available technologies include Nissan's around-view monitor, forward emergency braking, and lane departure warning. The company also debuted a Nismo concept version of the Pulsar. 
As you can see, it features sportier styling, and its handling and suspension has been tuned for more aggressive driving. No powertrain details were announced, but Nissan says more info will be announced in due course. So it sounds like this could be more than just a concept. And speaking of Paris, make sure to check out our coverage of the show for the latest info and reveals at our website, autoline.tv. And coming up next, a look back to Detroit's role as the arsenal of democracy. Here's another great thing about the all-around performance of our Dueler tires. A comfortable, quiet ride. Oh. At Bridgestone, our passion for performance knows no bounds. On AutoLine this week, the topic is all about the role that Detroit automakers played in World War II, especially the Ford Motor Company. That's because our guest is A.J. Bain, the author of the new book, The Arsenal of Democracy. In the following clip from that show, A.J. explains how iconic aviator Charles Lindbergh was an important figure in helping Ford build airplanes. Right before Pearl Harbor, they were the two, the two biggest voices, uh, anti-FDR, both, well, anti-FDR and, and both against uh, America's, you know, joining the war were um, Charles Lindbergh and Henry Ford, and they joined together. They were both voices for this group called America, America First, and they were out there campaigning, saying we, we must not be in, in this war. Lindbergh testified before Congress, and I have a picture in the book of him doing so, where he says, really, the reason why we should not be in this war is because we can't win. I found that fascinating, because Hitler's Air Force was so impressive. He had seen it firsthand. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, after Pearl Harbor, they both joined in hands to build the bomber force at Willow Run. So, so Lindbergh ser served um, probably more than half the war years right at Willow Run building airplanes. And that I never knew before, that he was a test pilot yeah. at the plant. I, you know, I had no idea. And, and as you point out in your book, he wasn't necessarily paid great money. He was paid just like any of the other pilots. I think his salary was $666.66. And they had come up with that figure because he um, had been kicked out. Well, he resigned from the Air Corps because he was so anti-FDR. And after Pearl Harbor, Lindbergh wanted to join back in the military. He really wanted to serve his country. Yeah. And he was forbidden. So when he uh, was hired by Ford, Ford was flooded with letters saying, um, you know, don't trust this guy, he's a Nazi, he's this, he's that. Um, but he took a salary of 666.66 because that's what would have been his salary if he was working with the Air Corps, flying for the Air Corps at the time. Also joining John for that show are Henry Payne from the Detroit News and Mark Phelan from the Detroit Free Press. As always, you can watch that entire episode right now on our website, autoline.tv. But that wraps up today's show. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. Wards is the industry leader for news, data, and analysis. That's why companies across the globe subscribe to our premium service, maybe even your own. Log in for subscriber access now. Check your company's intranet for details and rely on wardsauto.com to keep you informed.